Well, we are continuing in our series this morning on the Sermon on the Mount. And before we get into the message, I want to point a couple things out. First of all, uh, you recognize this? Hey, we've got a bulletin back. That's kind of a good thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Hey, you know what? Why, why do we get happy about that? Because it means things are getting back to normal. That's why, right? Exactly. You also notice there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. Uh, if you don't have your Bible with you today, I do want you to take a Bible, your Bible, or the Bible in front of you and open it. And then I want you to take this bulletin and I want you to insert it into chapter 5 of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. And then it can just kind of hang there for a little bit until we get uh, to our text for today. Um, but before we begin, you can also use your phone or tablet device. Uh, you can check us out on Version and follow along through the sermon notes there as well. But before we begin in the Word, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your faithfulness to us, your goodness to us, that while we were still sinners, you came and you died for us, that you've given us life and life abundantly, and you've taught us, you've showed us, you've given us a way to live as followers of you. Help us to be faithful to the call. Help us to see this morning the encouragement that we can gain from your teaching through the Sermon on the Mount that calls us to holy living and a life of being a peacemaker. Pray that we will not only receive from you today what you have to give us, through your Holy Spirit and through your word, but that we will put it into practice to glorify and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, we're going to continue in our series on the Sermon on the Mountain. Last week, uh, if you were here, you will recall that Pastor Dave uh, brought a great message to us. Uh, and in his message, he taught us and showed us how Jesus came as the fulfillment of the law or the Old Testament. That Jesus didn't come to abolish or remove or take away the Old Testament, but to fulfill it. And in fulfilling it, he made a way for us to understand, recognize, and know that the law of God and the commands of God in the Old Testament existed to help us recognize our need for a Savior. Jesus himself is that Savior who fully and completely fulfilled the law of God and therefore helped us understand and recognize that our greatest need is Jesus himself. That the life that Jesus is calling us to live is impossible without Jesus in us, without the heart change that Jesus brings to us through the Holy Spirit of the living God who for those who by faith follow Jesus, have living in them. We also recognized that Jesus changes the way that we read and understand the Bible. That both the Old and the New Testament are still relevant and valuable to our lives as Christians even today. And finally, Pastor Dave pointed out that right living begins with a right heart towards God. To which I absolutely and 100% agree that unless God makes our heart right with him through the person of Jesus Christ, we can't live the right life that he's calling us to live. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse 20, it says, 
For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will not inherit or enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, you may have heard it said that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. Have you heard that before? The heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. You know, the truth behind this proverbial statement, I think, will come to light today as we consider the subject of dealing with our anger and how we can all be found guilty of murder because of it in the eyes of God. And the reason we can be found guilty of it is not because of the external actions of our lives, but because of the internal condition of our heart. It really is a matter of the heart. You see, the framework for which we understand the rest of Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount from this day forward has to be in light of what Jesus said in verse 20. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. While the Pharisees and teachers of the law taught obedience to the letter of the law, remember every jot and tittle is what they were really mindful of. It was all about the externals. Jesus shows up now, and with a different kind of authority, he begins to teach not the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. In what Jesus is teaching us today and what he taught those first listeners was what was God's intent behind the law of God and the command of God on our life as those who follow him. By now, in this whole series, and maybe even today, you should be feeling the weight of the impossibility of living the life that God's calling us to live on your own efforts. The Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law were all found guilty of not being able to live up to the demands or the commands of the law of God. They thought they were, but Jesus exposed them. And what he's going to do today, I think, is expose you and me to the reality of our failure to keep the law and the commands of God on our own and the absolute need and necessity to have a heart changed by Jesus Christ in order for us to even live the life that God's calling us to live. Beginning in verse 21, Jesus launches into his teaching on kingdom ethics. And this is where we're going to begin our time today is, is in verse 21. I'm going to get there shortly. So if you want to open your Bibles and prepare yourself, this is a good time to do that. But as Jesus launches into his teaching on kingdom ethics, what he does is he's going to walk through uh, six antitheses. And, 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 and this is how he introduces the teaching of the kingdom to us through these antitheses. And, and an antithesis, by the way, just so you know, it, it's a teaching of contrasting ideas using parallel word structure to emphasize a point. You'll see this come to life as we unpack it, okay? Here Jesus talks about things like anger, adultery, divorce, oaths, retribution, and love for our enemies. 
we will hear Jesus say things like, you have heard it said, but now I say to you. This is the parallel word structure. You have heard the Pharisees and the teachers of the law tell you their interpretation of the law and commands of God. But I tell you, Jesus says, I'm going to give you God's intent behind the law and the commands today that are going to be radically different than what you've heard people teach you. See, Jesus comes recognizing that all along people had the word of God, but now he's giving them the intent of the law of God for their living purposes. The audience, the people who is, the, the, that are listening to Jesus' teaching right now, they're the disciples, the, the first followers of Jesus, not the 12. They're not here yet, but they're the, the, the initial ones who said, I want to follow Jesus. And then there's the large crowd. Remember, they're sitting out on the plain or on the mountain. And Jesus is beginning to teach them what the Word of God really means and how it can make a difference in their life. See, for the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, as they taught the Old Testament, the heart was never a point of consideration in their teaching. It was always and only about the external actions of our lives. But Jesus now turns it internal and he begins to address the heart of the matter. Charles Quarles captures the purpose of the antithesis when he writes, Jesus surpassed the law by insisting that one should avoid sinful attitudes as well as sinful actions, showing that the behavior of his followers is to be guided by God's own character rather than merely by his commands. So as a follower of Jesus Christ, what should be our guide for godly living? Certainly his commands are valuable to us. But the point of this is that the character of God should be reflected in our life as we follow Jesus. Let me remind you, where do we find the character of God on full display? In the Beatitudes. This is why Jesus launches into this whole sermon, giving the Beatitudes as a framework for the sermon. It's here that God reveals to us his character, his nature, his attributes. And then he says, when your heart is changed by God, this will become the character of your life as well. So we pick up in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. You can follow along as I read. You have heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders is subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, is in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. 
Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. A couple observations that I want to make before we dig into this passage. Number one, Jesus begins these antitheses by referring to the sixth of the Ten Commandments. You see here, God gave Moses, and specifically his people, but through Moses, the Ten Commandments, of which Jesus is going to begin his teaching on kingdom ethics through the sixth commandment, which says, thou shall not kill. Here Jesus makes the connection between the heart of the matter and the actions of our lives. See, Jesus is not just concerned with the external murderous act, which he is, by the way, but he's equally concerned with the murderous attitude of our hearts towards others. What we have here is Jesus' interpretation of the law followed by two illustrations that will show us how we are to live our lives in light of the anger that is within us. I want to point out also that there are two beatitudes that become prominent in this teaching today. One is the attitude of the heart that reflects what it means to be pure in heart. Or the other what it means to be a peacemaker. Let me remind you that those who are pure in heart are laser-focused on living and doing the will of God for their life. These are people with integrity before the Lord. These are people who love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they, and they love others, and that's apparent. People who are pure in heart have pure motives. They're not so, driven by self-interest but by the interest of, of loving God and by serving the other. These are the people that we all, or at least should, want to be with. And then there's the peacemaker. The peacemaker, these are the people of that desire to help others find peace with God and peace with others. I'll say it like this. The peacemaker is a broker of reconciling relationships. That's what a peacemaker is. This is the person who steps into situations and calms the storm rather than stirs the pot. This is the person that when there's a difference or an offense, we're willing to go and make it right so that we can be right with others, so that we can be right with God. You see, Jesus, in dealing with anger, makes a connection to the reality that the anger that we have in our heart could be no different than the murderous act of those who kill one another. Have you ever considered that you yourself are guilty of murder, even though you've never killed somebody before? As we look into and reflect on what Jesus is saying and what he's teaching in here, what we come to realize 
is that murder is really a matter of the heart. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. This is the interpretation of the law based on tradition. But now Jesus brings a new interpretation of the law when he says this, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. It's the same judgment. What Jesus is saying is that your heart can lead you to being just as guilty of murder as somebody who kills another. I have a temptation right now to encourage you with all kinds of nice words to maybe take away the tension that maybe you're sitting on right now. But I'm not going to do that. I want these words of Jesus to kind of settle in. Think about what he's saying here. Let it rest upon you so that you can recognize what Jesus is really getting at. You see, it's easy for us to look around us and cast judgment on others, especially those who are guilty of murder. And I promise you that in the day and age that we live, I did it last night, I did it two days ago, I did it last night, I did it this morning. You can open a newspaper, you can turn on the television, or you can look online and you will see headline after headline after headline about somebody who has killed somebody or a mass murder or a mass shooting that's happening all around America today. People killing people is nothing new to us, sadly, anymore. And it's only one of those uh, things that is actually uh, a horrible thing that our nation is dealing with right now. It's easy for us to cast judgment on people that we see who are truly guilty of murder. But have you ever considered that you yourself are guilty of murder in the eyes of God? Guilty not because you've actually killed somebody but guilty because you have harbored anger in your heart towards another. The question that maybe we could all be wrestling or asking right now is this. How does anger towards a brother or sister in Christ make me guilty of murder anyway? To which Jesus says our guilt is found not only in our actions, but in the attitudes of our heart. Jesus said that when you say to others, Raka, or you call them a fool, you are guilty of murder. What does the word Raka mean? We don't use that every day in the English language, do we? Have you ever read that and actually wondered what does that mean? It's a hard word to translate. The literal meaning of the word is somebody who is empty-minded. That's just not how we talk, is it? 
That person is empty-minded. Well, what's, what's the offense in that? I want to give you some substitutes that maybe are more contemporary to what we use every day. You ever thought of or called somebody a numbskull? How about a bonehead? You ever looked at somebody and thought to yourself, they are a complete idiot? See, these are words that, that we can associate with today that, that Jesus is referring to when he talks about having an attitude of contempt towards another. See, raka is a, is a term that is used to demote another person to the level of a nothing, a nobody, a worthless, good-for-nothing person. Have you ever thought of somebody like that? Have you ever looked at somebody and thought to yourself, this worthless, no-good person? You make me so mad. See, racha is, is contempt towards another. It's not just anger towards somebody, but it's anger that results in an attitude towards that person that wants to put them down, belittle them, make them worthless, or hurt them. What racha is not is family conflict. It can become that, but it's not the arguments that we have as spouses or with our kids. It's not that. It's not the arguments or the, the, you know, the, the bickering that we have with our friends and coworkers. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. So don't associate it with that. Uh, those are arguments. The, those are conflicts that we just need to work through and overcome. Jesus is also not implying that all forms of anger are wrong. Jesus himself did become angry, but his anger was out of righteous indignation. What does that mean? We notice and recognize Jesus' anger against sin and against injustices that he encountered in the world. His anger was never demonstrated against a person that brought condemnation towards a person but his anger was always directed towards the sin. His anger was directed towards, towards the injustice and the oppression that people would put others under. Jesus, out of righteous indignation, drove out people and the money changers in the temple. He did it by flipping tables and flipping benches and chasing everybody out. Why? Because the temple was to be a place of prayer. And people were turning it into a den of robbers by taking advantage of others, oppressing them through injustice. The kind of anger that Jesus is talking about through the word racha is commonly known. Let me try to make the connection what we understand as road rage. How many of you have ever experienced or felt or seen somebody with road rage? 
Have you ever been guilty of road rage? You know that person that cuts you off? That slow person that's in front of you when you're late? That person you don't know and, and, and all these things are running through your mind and you're just like angry about? Hey, listen, I have five kids. You know that, right? Two of them are in elementary school. One of them's in middle school and one of them's at high school. I see Raqqa on display in this town almost every day when I take them to school. I see it in you, and sometimes you see it in me. If you've ever dropped somebody off or picked somebody up at the middle school, <laughs> why do you know what I'm talking about? Whew. You know those feelings you get? When you just, you're raging inside because of something that has happened. When I was in seventh grade, I was bullied. I remember I lived out on the farm and I went to the garage one night and I put on some leather gloves and I imagined the kid that was bullying me, his face on the wall. And I punched it. And I punched it. And I punched it. I did this because in my heart I had anger towards him. This is not okay. This is not how we deal with anger, Jesus says. When did this kid stop bullying me? when we met out back one day, and that became a reality. I say this to tell you that in that one incident, before we had it out, I was already guilty of murder. Then I followed through with those actions. I didn't kill him. But he never picked on me again. That's not okay. That's not how Jesus wants us to live. That's not how he wants us to act. I sinned, and that was wrong. But who have you written off? Who in your life do you harbor contempt for? Who is that person that when, when they come to mind, they make your blood boil? It stirs within you an anger, a resentment, a bitterness, a rage. Who is that person? As a Christian, what are we to do about those people in our life? Because this is what Jesus is referring to when he says, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable in the court. Jesus also said, if you call someone a fool, you are guilty of murder and liable to God's judgment and hell itself. Again, anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. The Greek word for fool is moros. It's where we get our English word. You can see this coming, moron. 
To call someone a fool out of an angry heart is to suggest that that person should go to hell because they don't belong to God anyway. You hear the weight of the insult? Psalm 41, or Psalm 14, 1 says, A fool says in his heart there is no God. To call someone a fool out of anger is not only a great insult, but it's, it's a way that we are, are bringing judgment upon somebody's life and saying, not only do you not belong to God, but you don't belong to me either. Out of my life. Have you ever felt raka? Have you ever called somebody a fool? How you doing? It's heavy, isn't it? By now, I think we've all come to realize, hopefully, that we are all guilty. We're all guilty of murder in the eyes of God. We can't live this life without Jesus, without a change of heart through the person of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in us. We cannot do the life that God's calling us to live. We we can't do that. The Pharisees and teachers of the law, they tried to meet the demands of the law all the time, but this isn't about that. This is about understanding our need for Jesus, letting him change our heart, and then responding with a heart that has changed to the life he wants us to live. And now Jesus is going to give us two illustrations that will help us to understand what he wants us to do with the anger that's in us. The first of two positive responses in dealing with anger is that he wants us to reach out and to reconcile with others. This is the life of a peacemaker. If you're a follower of Jesus... This is one of those attributes of God that lives in you that God wants you to live out, being a peacemaker. If you have a known and legitimate grievance with somebody that needs to be dealt with, Jesus says, before you give your money to God, go and make things right with that person and then come and worship me. Listen to his words. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. See what Jesus is saying here. He's making it clear that our external actions of the offering that we would give to God, the money that we give to him, must come out of a heart that is right with God but also out of a heart that is right with others, our brothers and sisters. See, the Bible is clear that God desires a life of obedience to his word far more than any gift, sacrifice, or offering we can give him. God wants your obedience. It's a demonstration of your love for him. You see, Jesus knows the importance of your relationship with God. But he also knows that your relationship and mine with God is affected by the relationship that we have with others and those around us. 
You can't say I'm good with God and not be good with your brother or sister. You can't say that. That's hypocrisy. It can't be. We cannot worship God with integrity and a clear conscience without being right with our brother and sister in Christ. Jesus is calling for us to be peacemakers in this world. That's the life he's calling us to. This is how citizens of the kingdom of heaven will live their life. One of the blessings that belongs to Jesus or belongs to us because of who Jesus is in us is that we can actually live reconciled lives with others in this world here and now. But it requires that as God's people, we reach out to reconcile with others. The second positive response that Jesus gives for us in dealing with our anger is that we are to deal with our differences quickly. Settle matters quickly, verse 25, with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way. Your adversary may hand you over to the judge. The judge will hand you over to the officer and you may then be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Here's the implication. You can't pay your debt on your own and therefore, if you are imprisoned, you're not gonna get free. How many of you are held by chains and imprisonment because you have anger, contempt, bitterness towards a brother or sister, towards a loved one, towards a friend or a family member, that you have been unwilling to reconcile or make right. It's imprisonment that keeps us captive. See, we are to go quickly and to do what we can to settle, settle our differences with others. Hear me. We are not responsible for other people's actions or attitudes towards us as we seek reconciliation. But we are responsible for our attitudes and our actions as we pursue reconciliation. John Piper, who's a pastor, well-known author, offers two helpful observations that I want to share with you. One, we are responsible for what others hold against us when it is owing to real sin or blundering on our part. Here's what he's saying. We must own our sin and our offense against others. We must own that. And when we are aware of that, this is what Jesus is saying. As somebody who is pure in heart and a peacemaker in this world, I'm asking you now, because you have a changed heart and you carry the attributes of me, to go and to reach out and reconcile with your brother or sister and to do it quickly. Second observation is that we are responsible to go quickly and seek reconciliation. We're not responsible to make reconciliation happen. God does that. See, you're responsible for your heart and your attitude towards the other and pursuing reconciliation. But if it's un, 
received and not given back, there's nothing more you can do. We must live with whatever the outcome of our pursuit of reconciliation is. You're responsible for your part. See, Jesus' teaching should prompt us to ask ourselves certain questions, questions like this. Are we responsible for any, anger, any grudges, anger, bitterness, or hostility someone has against us? If the answer is yes, then Jesus said we should go and do something about it. We should go and seek to resolve it and do it quickly. See, God's calling those who have experienced the God of peace to live in this world as peacemakers. If you belong to Jesus Christ and he's changed your heart, then the life he wants you to live is one that reflects him. Imagine the makeup of the crowd that, that, that Jesus was speaking to. I think this is so critical so you can see yourself in it. The crowd of disciples and, and those who were seeking after Jesus, they were everyday ordinary people. They were fishermen and tax collectors. They were laborers and people that, that the religious elite not only looked down upon, but oftentimes wrote off. They have no chance to get into the kingdom of heaven. But here Jesus, through the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount, he's giving people hope, hope of a new life. He's inviting them and he's inviting us to a different way of life, a different kind of life, a life that reflects the kingdom ethic of the heaven that is to be lived out here on earth. And he says, unlike the, the, the Pharisees and scribes, the teachers of the law who are trying to get there on their own, the only way you get there is through me. And when you realize that, I now can empower you, gift you, and help you to live the life I have for you. See, when we view this in light of God's love towards us, when we view this in light of God's grace towards us, and his mercy that's upon us, we can see that following Jesus isn't about trying harder. It really is not. It's about a heart that is conditioned and bent and postured towards Christ. And it was responsive to God out of love because of his love and his grace and his mercy for us. That because of what Christ has done for us, we want to live the life he has for us. As peacemakers, we should seek to reconcile with others. Why? This is why. Because God, through the person of Jesus Christ, has reconciled you and me to him when we didn't deserve it, when we did nothing for it. Jesus did for you and for me what we couldn't do for ourselves. He died for you because he loves you. And when you said yes to Jesus and he forgave your sin, he positioned you in the family of God. He has given you the Holy Spirit as a deposit. And now he says, live your life for me. It's good news, amen? 
Doesn't this relieve the burden of trying to figure out how to do this on her own? You can't. You'll fail every time. But with Christ in you, you can. That's the good news. See, our obedience to God is to be a loving response to God for what He has done for us. And in return, we should desire to be peacemakers in this world that seek to reconcile relationship with others so that they too can be reconciled to the Father who's in heaven. This is the hope-filled life that God has called you to and me to. And in this world where there's a ton of trouble, doesn't this help us see how we can live God's will for us? Let's do it to his glory, amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that your word is life-giving. That in you, Jesus, is the fulfillment of the law. And only in you, Jesus, can we experience that fulfillment, satisfaction, but also reconciliation with God himself. God, as you have become our Father, as you've empowered and equipped us with your Holy Spirit, help us to see that the teaching of Jesus is not only hard, but it's life-giving. We can't do this on our own, but we can do this because of who you are in us. Help us to be people in this world who are pure in heart and who live as peacemakers, dealing with our anger by reconciling with our brother and sister and doing it quickly. To your honor and for your glory in Christ's name, amen.